Well, good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to uh, the book of Job, and we're going to read from Job chapter 8 as we continue our studies through this book. So, Job chapter 8, starting to read at verse 1. How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will be your future. Ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we are born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water while still growing and uncut? They wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perish the hope of the godless. What he trusts in is fragile. What he relies on is a spider's web. He leans on his web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it doesn't hold. He is like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading its roots over the garden. It entwines its roots around the pile of rocks and looks for a place among the stones. But when it's torn from its spot, the place disowns it and says, I never saw you. Surely, its life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. Surely God does not reject blameless men, or strengthen the hands of the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter, and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame, and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Well, God will add his blessing, that reading of his word, let's just uh, come before him before we look at it together. Our Father, again, we come to you in our own lack of understanding, and we just ask that in these few moments that you will open our hearts to the truths held within your word, that we might be able to see them, and that we might be able to apply them to situations that arrive in our lives, and that we might be able to apply them in the way that they are meant to be applied. Teach us as we learn together and gather around this book of Job because we do this and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the book of Job, Bildad speaks. Now Bildad is the second friend to speak to Job and he's not going to be as reserved as Eliphaz was. And Bildad's harsh words to Job as well as being of no help to him will actually hurt him. This passage here, verses 1 through to 7, Bildad is basically saying, shut up and listen to me. I have the answer, and it's simple. So we read, then Bildad the Shunite replied, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. You see, he comes right out with it. Job, you know more than a windbag, and you keep going on and on and on. And you're starting to sound like a broken record. And he says to him, think about this. 
So he goes on in verse 3. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Well, if we think about that for a moment, the answer is that God does not pervert justice. He does not twist justice. And he does not corrupt justice. But Bildad is incorrectly applying this to Job to Job in his particular circumstances. And he's doing it on the assumption that God is punishing Job because Job deserves it. Now, to justify this conclusion, he has to establish that Job has done something to deserve what's happening to him. So he goes on in verse 4 and he says, When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. You see here, Bildad has concluded that Job is being punished, and punished fairly, and it's because of the sins of his children. His words, when your children sin, tells us something to the arrogance of Bildad's approach to Job, and something of his ignorance towards Job's pain and suffering. Now, Firstly, with regard to what Bildad has just said, there is no indication given that suggests that Job's children were doing anything to offend God. In fact, we know that they weren't because we know what was happening in heaven. Now, the implication of Bildad's is that Job is being held responsible for his children's sin. And this is why he's suffering. Secondly, Job believed in the grace of God and he believed in the importance of sacrifice and the need for repentance and forgiveness. And we go back to Job chapter 1 and in verse 5, this is what we read about Job. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. This is arrangements for his children. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. Notice that Job would sacrifice burnt offerings for each of them, thinking that maybe perhaps my children have sinned and caused and cursed God in their hearts. We know that this didn't happen. But this was Job's regular care for his children. And Bildad's application of the truth about God's justice is a classic example of the misinterpretation and the misapplication of God's words. Therefore, the evidence that he's about to give to Job in his present circumstances or the, the advice, I'm sorry, the advice that he is about to give to Job in his present circumstances is completely wrong. And Bildad has no evidence to back up the things that he's saying. So we go on to verse 5. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Your beginning will seem humble. So prosperous will your future be. 
This advice, why does this advice not apply to Job? Well, the simple reason is this. Because Job is pure, he is upright, and this in the eyes of God. Again, we refer back to Job 1 and verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. We also know, because we can read the book, we know that God will restore Job. But at the moment, things don't seem fair to Job. And he doesn't really think it's fair that he should be suffering and he doesn't think it's fair for him to be suffering at the will of God when he knows that he's done nothing deserving of his present state of life. And, you know, he will later tell us that this is how he feels. He feels he's being mistreated. He's not being treated fairly. But he also trusts God. He trusts that God has the right to do whatever it is that he is doing. Bill Dad's description of God leaves no room for God's love. He leaves no room for God's grace. And he's only concentrating on God's justice. Now let's think about that really. You see, If God's way is to do bad things to bad people and good things to good people, then there'd be no need for the cross, no need for sacrifice, no need for Jesus and no room for grace. According to Bildad, everything would be based on the efforts of the individual resulting in either reward or retribution. As we mentioned before, this philosophy, if you like, is based on and is the basis for world religion. For man to do it himself in order to be right with God, it can't be done. But the beauty is that someone has done it for us. And all we have to do is to trust in God's provision. Let's just go go to a New Testament passage, really. I want to just read Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is a God of justice. And justice must be done. And there is a price that needs to be paid. And it's a price that Jesus paid. And it's the price that he paid on the cross. Listen to what John said in 1 John 4 verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that leaves no room for us to be able to earn or buy our salvation in order that we could be right with God. So let's read on and look at verses 8 through to 19. And what Bildad is saying here is this is the way things have always been learned from it. So he says in verse 8 and verse 9, Ask the former generations and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. Those words, for we were born yesterday and I know nothing, I find this quite ironic coming from Bildad. Bildad, who has formed his own conclusions based on what he sees and the distorted understanding that he has of the justice of God, who goes on to say to Job, for we were born only yesterday and know nothing. What he's really saying to Job is this, you know nothing, so it's about time you started to learn, but as for me, well, I know everything. Let's go to verse 10. He says this, Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Let's again stop for a moment, because it is good to be able to look back, and it's good to be able to learn from the past and from those who have gone before us. But when we do that, we must be careful. Careful not to base what we know to be true. And if we do that, then we're basing everything solely on tradition. And tradition is not always right. But Bildad is going to give Job some illustrations for him to consider. 11 through to 12. Can papyrus grow tall where there's no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? Well, they can't, no. Will they grow? Will, will, while still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass? Well, they probably do in nature. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. You know, papyrus was grown for the production of paper. It was grown in marshes and they needed water to survive. And while still growing, they, they probably had a nice flower. Flower that probably didn't last very long. Then these tall plants were harvested and cut down, and when that happened, the flower would definitely die. And what, what is Bill that saying through this? Well, he, he's saying to Job, look, I'm giving you an illustration here. Look, Job, you are dying, and you're dying quickly, but you still have time to make it right. And he goes on in verse 14 and 15. What they trust in is fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. So what's he saying to Job through this? He's saying to him, look, Job, whatever it is you are trusting in, it won't be strong enough to hold you up. It's no good just continuing in the direction that you're going. And he goes on in verse 16 through to 19. They are like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading its roots over the garden, it 
entwines its roots round a pile of rocks and looks for a place among the stones, but when it is torn from its spot, that place is disowned. Dis disowns it and says, I never saw you. Surely its life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. And what Bildad is, is saying in this example is, look, Job, people don't uproot a good plant. It's only bad plants that get pulled up and discarded. Now, you might have been a good plant at one time, but look, you've been rooted up. Look at the state of you. What are you now? You're a bad plant. You're a bad plant. What do you think Bildad would do with a verse like this one that I'm going to quote from Jeremiah? And it's good for us to think about these things. This is the word of God. It is the true word of God. Well, how would we apply it? This is Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through to 6. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not be see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. Do you think if Bildad had this passage, do you think he would have said to Job, Job, this is you. This is who I think you are. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Do you think it applies to Job? The answer is no. It doesn't. Why? Because Job is trusting in God. Job is not cursed. He is being blessed through his suffering. He is not cursing God. But he is suffering. And we know that it is the will of God that he does suffer. And we know that in the end, his suffering is a defeat for Satan. Job 8, 20 through to 22. We reach what is the conclusion, and there is some truth in this conclusion, but it's not being applied the way it should be applied. Because Bildad has got things really out of place in the wrong order. So verse 20 to 21. Surely God doesn't reject one who is blameless or strengthen the hands of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Well, this will happen to Job. God will not reject him because he is blameless. 
but it won't happen yet. I want us to finish this evening with some words from Isaiah, words about the one who suffered in our place. Isaiah 53 verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is referenced by the theologians as the doctrine of penal substitution. Mm. There's a couple of words for you to remember. Penal substitution. And it simply means that Jesus has taken the penalised or the penalty that should have been ours for our sin. He has taken our place the ones who should be penalised. And this is on the cross, at the place where God's love and justice meet. And that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at how Bildad had no room for God's love or God's grace, only his justice. And I was thinking of a, a, a hymn by the Scottish hymn writer Elizabeth Clefane. She lived 1830 to 1869, only a short life. But in verse 2 of her hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, this is what she wrote. O safe and happy shelter, O refuge tried and sweet, O trysting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. As to the holy patriarch, that wondrous dream was given, so is my Saviour by the cross a ladder up to heaven. May that be our prayer for this evening. And I pray that God will bless us through his written word and by his living word. I think we can all say amen to that. And next week we're going to see how Job answered Bildad. And we will find that in chapter 9. Father, we just thank you for your word and we ask your blessing upon us now. And we thank you for who you are, for what you've done. And Father, we just bring these things before you in the name of Jesus and ask you to encourage us and to lead us in the direction you would have us go as we go in your name. Amen.